0: You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. We made it 10 weeks, 11 actually have flown by, and we are now in our 10th paragraph in our doctrinal statement. I'll invite you to turn, though, uh, to the book of Acts, chapter 16, read a text, and then, um, not in the fashion that I like to do, we will go on to something else and then come back eventually to the text. So hopefully I, I feel so much dissonance in doing it this way. I hope that you all do as well. That Darren doesn't usually read a text and then go off into something else and then We try to stay right in the text, but this morning we're gonna start off with this passage from Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 34, and then we'll get into this last doctrinal statement. So this is Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, "'Do not harm yourself, for we are all here.' And the jailer called for lights and rushed in." Then he brought them up into his house, set the food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Grass withers, flower fades, word of our God stands forever. So this morning, as I've mentioned, we reached the final paragraph of our doctrinal statement. And for those who have been following along over these ten sermons, our doctrinal statement really could just be walked through as almost an explanation of the gospel itself, granted its 10 points. And really the gospel usually can be summarized and you think of, of four different categories: God, man, Christ, response. God is holy, deserving of our worship. Man has fallen, sinned, has not worshiped God as he ought to, is deserving of God's justice, but Christ enters into time and space, time and history, lives the righteous life we should have lived, dies the death that we deserve, and then responds so that everyone who looks to Christ, clings to Him, forgiven of their sins, made righteous in God's sight. You can kind of split that into God, man, Christ response. But you could, if you wanted to, walk through just the doctrinal statement that we've been over, kind of along that same pattern pattern with a little more detail. We started with God the God who is creator of all things is deserving of all of our worship. To him, we owe everything. He is holy and perfect and righteous. And not only that, the second point of our doctrine the God who is there has spoken, he's not remained silent. He has told us who he is. Live stream's dying, but don't mind, Tony. Forget all of this. The second doctrinal statement, the God who is there is the God who has spoken. He has told us about himself in the 66 books of the Old and the New Testament. God is there. He has spoken. He is holy. He is righteous. He is good. Third point of our doctrine, man. Man has fallen. We have rebelled against God. We are condemned and under God's just wrath because of our rebellion, which puts conflict God made the world, wanted a people for himself, and what he's got in creation and humanity are men who are not worthy of being called his people because we have rebelled. And so then enter the fourth point of our doctrinal statement, the person of Christ. Jesus shows up, the incarnation. We're getting ready to celebrate Advent and then Christmas. God, the second member of the Trinity, puts on flesh. God the Son lives the righteous life we should have lived, He fulfills all righteousness and then goes into the fifth point of our doctrinal statement, which is the work of Christ. Not only does he live righteously, but he suffers the wrath sinners deserve on a cross as our substitute. God, Scripture, man, Christ, his work. And so that everyone who looks to him by the sixth point, the Holy Spirit, is then regenerated, given eyes to see the beauty of the gospel. Born again is the the language of John chapter 3. Is born again into the family of God, adopted into God's family by the Holy Spirit. And that adoption puts them into the church, which is our seventh doctrinal statement. When you get saved, when you trust in Christ, you become a member of the one holy Catholic Apostolic Church represented in local bodies across the globe. Who then covenant together, work together. Point eight in Christian living that our salvation is never separated from our sanctification. Justifying grace, it goes into sanctifying grace. And we all together as a church work together for our mutual edification and growth in godliness, leading to then point nine, as we wait and look forward to the return of Christ. One day, Christ is going to return for his own. Jesus and his real resurrected physical body is going to return and leads us then to our 10th statement this morning on how God is going to wind this all up. When Jesus returns it is going to be a moment to judge the world he's going to return for judgment the old testament picture day of the lord has with it these terrifying connotations he's going to judge the world the day of the lord in an old testament context was a terrifying day for much of the when you when you read the prophets because israel the people of god are rebelling and they're saying the day of the lord is coming and it's going to come with justice and judgment. And when that judgment, on our 10th point, the, the judgment that's coming is going to send the unbeliever to eternal conscious punishment in a place we call hell. And to the believer is going to secure them to eternal joy in a new heavens and a new earth. Now, those who are really into their eschatology, which is the fancy word for their end times study, we'll notice that we don't take certain positions in this doctrinal statement on an eschatological viewpoint. Now, you can tune out here for the next 30 seconds if this is kind of mumbo jumbo to you, but some people will be interested in this. I I hope, I don't know, I am, so maybe some people will be interested in this realization. We don't take a position on certain eschatological doctrines. We don't make an issue of whether you are premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, if you're pre trib, mid trib, post trib, pre millennial, we don't make, now, to me, like, what words are you talking about? It's okay if you don't know those. Uh, but, but for many people, that's what their eschatology is all wrapped up in is on a certain one of those viewpoints. I don't, and it's not that I don't think that those doctrines matter. I do, and I have my personal position. If you were to come talk to me and wanted to hear where I was at, I would gladly share with you what my position is on what I think the future events of, of Christ's return are going to look like. But I think that there is room for people, and this doctrinal statement allows for it, there is room for people to have different perspectives on the timeline of how the future will play out that doesn't keep them from fellowshipping together. So if you're pre-trib, if you're mid-trib, if you're post-trib, post-trib pre-millennial, that's, it's not a question that I will ask in your membership interview. You know, where do you stand on how this is all going to go down? We might talk about it for fun, but that isn't like, oh, if you get this wrong, then you're out. That's not one of the questions that are on there. Some churches will, just so you know. There are churches that if you go to and in, your eschatological position is different than theirs, it means you can, you won't fellowship with them. We're not going to... Draw that line with, with, and though I have my own understanding of these things, I will not disqualify you as a Christian if we differ. And I won't even say we can't serve in the same local church, especially in our limited context, if we disagree. But the general idea, ending eschatological viewpoints, talk to me more if you want to about these different positions. Our general doctrinal statement says this. I've got all the words That'll be up in tiny print for you on the screen there. It reads like this. We believe that God commands everyone everywhere to believe the gospel by turning to him in repentance and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that God will raise the dead bodily and judge the world. Assigning, to the unbeliever, assigning the unbeliever to condemnation and eternal conscious punishment, and the believer to eternal blessedness and joy with the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth to the praise of his glorious grace. Amen. So this final paragraph, I think we can take away two main, two big truths and then one plea. The gospel is a message, it's a news, it's a declaration of news that always comes with a plea to respond to the news. So this final paragraph, broken down into two general truths and a plea. The first truth is that judgment is coming. Hebrews 9.27 says that it is appointed for man to die once, and then comes the judgment. Paul, in his sermon in at Morris Hill in Acts chapter 17, just after where we were for our opening passage, Paul says in this sermon to the the men of the Areopagus on Mars Hill, chapter 17, verse 30 of the book of Acts, the time of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead." Paul makes the connection of one of the evidences of the resurrection of Christ is that by the appointment of this one man as righteous, he is going to return and the world is gonna be judged by his standard of righteousness. There is a coming day of judgment that they ought to be ready for. And this judgment will bring eternal punishment in a place commonly referred to as hell. And it is for those who persist in their rebellion against God. They will suffer under the wrath that they have earned, that really we all have earned. They will suffer under the wrath that they deserve. Now, if that makes you sit a little, well, I don't like to talk about that today. The, The preacher who discusses this and preaches on this more than anyone else is Jesus. I know Vidal Sassoon Jesus with his flowing hair and hippie Jesus who's just loving roses and flowers if you actually read the words of Jesus, going to places like Matthew chapter 24 and 25 and his Olivet Discourse, you hear very stern and, and frankly terrifying words from Jesus about the coming day of judgment. Just briefly, Matthew chapter 25, 24, uh, verses 31 through, well, that's way too much. We don't want to read all of that. I must have got those numbers wrong. 36 as well we'll start at Matthew chapter 24 No, it's chapter 25. That's why it's wrong. Okay. Matthew chapter chapter 25, starting in verse 31, speaking of the final judgment. Matthew 25, starting in verse 31, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He's going to separate some of their already sheep or their already goats. And there's this explanation of the kind of lives sheep live and the kind of lives that goats live. And at the end, uh, the the, the uh, sheep protest that, that, that they didn't. Not sure why they deserve this. The king answers them, Truly, when you did this when you did these good works, to at least one of these my brothers, you did it to me. The sheep walking out their faith do good works, they are brought into righteousness. But then the goats who have not done what they should have, because they do as their nature inclines them to do, he'll answer to them. You, in verse 45, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it, do it to one of the least of these, you did, it not, you did not do it to me. And these, the goats, those who are not Christ's, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Judgment is coming. And for those who are Christ's, that judgment will lead to a righteous proclamation leading to eternal life. But to those who are not Christ, it leads to eternal punishment out of the words, out of the mouth of Jesus himself. For those who have confessed their sin, trusted in Christ as their substitute, their judgment has been placed upon Christ. That's why point five, the work of Christ, he is our substitute. He has stood in for us. He has taken our judgment, our wrath upon himself. So that when we go before the judgment day, Christ looks at us and says, though the judgment, the wrath is due us, he says, that one is mine. I don't know if he actually says this. This is me paraphrasing, but he would say something like this. That one is mine. I took their punishment on myself. That one is mine. Though they are fully deserving of God's just wrath, Jesus will speak up. That one is mine. And they will forever be with the Lord. That's the message of John 3.16, right? God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Those who believe in him, the condemnation they deserve is not put upon them Christ takes it upon himself, and they are given eternal life. But for those who are not believing, there is nothing but eternal. They get what they deserve. Justice is served them because they have not placed their faith in Christ. So the first point from our doctrinal statement, judgment is coming. The second truth that this paragraph communicates to us is of the coming eternal state on a new heaven's and a new earth. Jesus will make all things new. Jesus will make all things new. When he returns, we do not stay, uh, when we talk about death and dying going to heaven, and that's a true statement, but heaven isn't forever. Heaven is an inter- that we think of today is an intermediary state. So it's, t- it's called in theological statements, it's an intermediary state. You die and you go to a place, you go to a, a, a existence that we have a hard time thinking about, where your soul leaves its body, and you go and you are instantly, as Paul talks about, to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. But the day is coming when Christ will return, and all those who are His as Colossians talks about, come with him, return with him, and then Christ will make all things new and will give everyone renewed bodies. And we will live in real flesh and blood bodies, renewed, resurrected, made alive, as Christ's body was after his death and resurrection, and forever we will live with him on a new heavens and a new earth. Revelation 21 just gives this beautiful picture of what this reality will be like when, the, when Christ returns and makes all things new. Revelation chapter 21, first verse. Then I saw, this is John's apocalyptic vision, but he sees. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Stunning language. Also in the section that we read last week from 2 Peter 3, uh, verse 13, puts this Christian hope in the same place. One day we will be with the Lord, really and truly with him. It's hard to comprehend what going to heaven would be like but we can have some understanding of Christ is going to liberate us from sin and decay. He's going to liberate us from all that plagues us and we're going to live renewed bodies like this but perfected with Christ for eternity. And so though you may not be able to imagine heaven, you could imagine this life but way better without sin, without death, without disease, without pandemics, no more masks. We'll live in a renewed earth with Christ forever in the joy of his presence, really and truly with him, renewed bodies on a renewed world. These two truths, judgment is coming for those who are placed their faith in Christ. They'll finish, they will live on to an into an eternity on a new heavens and a new earth. But there is included here a plea there's included in this last statement a plea, a plea to believe. And that's why we opened with Acts chapter 17. This is after the Philippian experience. They get jailed. They get thrown in jail in Philippi. And they're in there praying, singing hymns to God in the middle of this nasty, awful prison. And an earthquake shows up. The, the, the gates are open. And the jailer assumes they're all going to escape. And he's going to be killed anyway, so he's just going to take care of everything. And no, stop. Stop. And, and, and the, the Philippian jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? And they say, they call him, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I got three fun Latin words put on the screen for you here because you know how I like to put words out that make no sense to you, okay? <laughs> I see puzzled looks. I can't see your eyes. I see your puzzled looks already, but in, Protestantism has traditionally recognized three different phrases to understanding and truly receiving the gospel message. Summarized with three Latin terms, notitia, ascensus, fiducia, and those kind of ascend, they build upon each other. Sometimes faith is um, portrayed as just a leap into the dark, right? It, it doesn't have, there's no sense to it, it doesn't make any logic, there's no reasoning, you just believe. Well, that's not Protestantism's claim claim what faith is. There is this gradual growth. There is this plank upon plank understanding of what it means to believe in Christ. Notitia is just the knowledge, just the understanding of the term. So you understand the 10 points of the doctrinal statement. If you've been listening along, and I went through all of them just this morning, you have a general knowledge, notitia, understanding of the gospel, who God is, who man is, what Christ has done, What's going to happen in the future, you have a general understanding. That's notitia. A census is basically just giving assent, agreement. You're like, okay, I see that I, I, I've heard the, the knowledge, and, and now not only do, do I understand it, but I, I can see how that makes sense, that, 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 that comes together. Okay, I, what I'm doing, a sense this morning, in a sense this morning, is giving a census. Here's the knowledge, and I'm proclaiming it. I'm saying, hey, here's the truth. That third last step is fiducia, is where you actually don't just know it, don't just give a sense to it, but actually believe it, where you make it your own. And so for an example would be like going to the bank. We have an understanding of what happens at a bank, right? They tell you, you bring your money in, and we're gonna give you pieces of paper or plastic card, and as you put your money in here, then you're going to take it around, your little card, your checks, and you can write money, and that helps pay for things. Bring us your money. That's kind of the, the knowledge of what a bank does. A census is when you say, okay, I can see how that would work. You know, I can see that I deposit my money, and then they kind of keep track of it, and then I can spend it, and they take care of the books and my accounting. I understand it. I give a cent to it. It is a totally different thing when you walk your money into the bank and leave it with them. That's fiducia. That's faith. That's not just saying, I understand how this works. That's not just saying, well, I could see how that could work, and maybe I even would like for that to work for me. That is saying, no, this is a principle, this is a truth that is mine. I'm taking my money to the bank. When it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, when it comes to things like this doctrinal statement, you can understand the concepts. You can even work to explain them. I can be up here this morning and labor at trying to explain and failing at times and hopefully succeeding some at trying to explain the notitia, the meanings, the understandings of the gospel, giving a sense, uh, giving a, a, a scent to it, a census. But even myself, none of that matters if you don't take your money to the bank. If you don't say this truth is not just truth I agree to, this is truth for me. This Savior isn't just, I understand him, I give agreement to him, he may be good for other people, but no, this Savior is for me. Are you taking your money to the bank? Are you fiducia? Are you believing in these truths? Yes, you've heard them. Yes, you may give assent to them. Are we placing our faith in them? Today is the day of to do that. Today is the day to make sure that you are confessing your sins, shuddering at the possibility of facing the coming judgment without a representative. How terrifying will it be on that day to face the holy, righteous God of the universe in your rebellion and have no representative to stand between you, to have no mediator. Terrifying that day will be. Repent, look to Christ, trust in his work on the cross, believe in him and be saved and then rejoice. Because when you are made right with God through faith in Christ, you have all the promises of God that he will never let you go. He will never abandon you. The promises that he has made to return and make all things new, resurrecting those who believe in him to eternal life and eternal joy with him are promises that he will not fail to keep. Live in the joy of knowing your acceptance with God and your promised future with him forever. Let's pray. God, work in our hearts right now in this room this morning. I do not want to be one who works hard to get the knowledge of your truth, who even says to others, here's the truth, you should consider it, and yet doesn't cling to it myself. I don't wanna be the one who tells everyone how great and how convenient a debit card is and all these things at a bank, and never deposit my own check. I don't wanna do that with the faith. I don't wanna do that with the gospel. And I pray that this morning you would convict each one of us in any way that we might be holding back from just saying this gospel truth is mine. Confessing ourselves as sinners, running and turning from our sin, clinging to Christ that we might be saved. Father, do this work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.